Hi everyone, Sean Paul Ellis here from the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. Remember, that's morning with a U. Some pre-show announcements! They've been kind of quick. Anyway, I'm doing terrific at this. So today's pre-show announcements are two shout-outs, a quick request, and finally, what's actually happening on today's episode. One of our shout-outs comes from YouTube on episode 227, My Life as a Teenage Robot, Corkboard Productions. Thank you, Corkboard. They tell us that poor ratings were more than likely the fault of mismanagement of Nick executives at the time. Sounds like maybe Corkboard was working with Nick. I feel like this might be insider information, Corkboard, and I'm interested. Corkboard also says the primary influences behind Teenage Robot's art style were the 1930 Fleischer cartoons combined with the flat look from the 50s and 60s UPA cartoons combined with an art deco architecture. I love all of this. Thank you so much, Corkboard. Our second shout out goes to Aaron Shea. Yes, Aaron Shea, who had recommended Toxic Crusaders. He messaged us and said how thankful he was that we talked about this cartoon. We now understand a little bit of what his childhood was like. Wow. Plus, he also recommended that we should do Attack of the Killer Tomatoes based on the sequel to the original Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Guess what, Aaron? We've already done it. Go back into our back catalog. Episode 177, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It's already there. We've already done it. Again, I've said this many times. Legally, we're now obligated to review cartoons if you tell us to watch them. Unless, of course, we've actually already reviewed it. And in this case, episode 177's got everything you're looking for. So enjoy, Aaron. A request. Hey, everyone. This month, it's my birthday. Yeah, July's my birthday. Do you want to get me a present? No? (laughs) Wow, that was kind of abrupt. Well, if you said yes, it's super easy. Just recommend the show to a friend. It doesn't even have to be on social media. Just recommend the show to a friend and or go on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts and subscribe and review. It's super easy, except that every time I mention how easy it is, I add something new on every single time. So just go tell a friend, subscribe and review it. That's it. Seriously, it's very easy. Thank you guys. Also, July might have an extra special surprise in addition to the two planned episodes. So who knows? Could be a super happy birthday to me. What is on today's episode? This is a show that I watched on Nickelodeon back when I was a kid. And wow, I have a lot of memories about it. We are talking about the mysterious cities of gold. This was a cartoon that's near and dear to my heart, but obviously does it hold up to the test of time when we, again, go back and review it with a critical adult lens? To help me understand if it's actually going to hold up, I have brought back my friends, Isabel Galbraith, as well as also Jeff Ray, to help me understand, does the golden condor, do you you pilot it with two sticks like it's indicated in the actual theme music, or is it just one stick like in the actual episode? Also, does this show really start with kidnapping? We're still trying to figure that one out. All of this and more, and so now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series, coming to you all the way from the new world in search of the mysterious cities of gold. I'll be your host, Sean Paul Ellis. And returning to the show, and also a stowaway on our ship to the new world, (laughs) welcome back DC-based performer and writer Isabel Galbraith. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming back. And... 
Joining us while swooping in as the pilot of a huge golden condor, welcome back director and rapper Jeff Ray. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm very excited to have both of you on this show. So awesome. uh, I want to say, first and foremost, everybody probably understands the cartoon that we're talking about tonight because I think we almost said it twice during the introduction in and of itself. If you're coming in blind on this and you were able to make the jump and say, hey, giant golden condor, got it. The mysterious cities of gold, you are 100% correct. That is the cartoon that we're talking about this evening. And as always, I just kind of want to get a baseline, just a check-in, just a little checky check with everybody just to see. Isabel, what was your experience with this cartoon? Did you have any relationship with this? Did you know that this existed? I didn't. I had no, I'd never heard of it. Um, I had no recollection of it from the 80s. And, but then again, my family didn't have Nick, Nickelodeon um, when it was first on. So okay. I think we just didn't have those channels, maybe. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. any, any particular memory of like an older Nicktoon or a Nickelodeon cartoon that you had watched? I mean, I watched a lot of cartoons, but I don't think any of them were on that channel. Huh. So no. Oh, man. I know. I, I got to bring you in on some January when we do Nicktoon, New Year's Nicktoons. Yeah, yeah. Just to, just to bring you in. Mm -hmm. We might be actually close to getting caught up to like modern day, but still. All right. Do like it. it. Well, I will. <laughs> I will. Don't threaten me. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> Jeff, what was your relationship with the Mysterious Cities of Gold? Did you know that this existed? I did not. Okay. Um, I feel a little bit bad about that because I feel like... It does seem like the kind of cartoon I would have liked as a kid. Um, but I feel like it was a little bit maybe before my time in terms of cartoons. I remember uh, Doug. Sure. Um, did Old Red and Stimpy, was that on Nickelodeon at yeah, first? Yeah, those, those, those are two of the three classic like OG Nicktoons. Yeah, like those are, that's what I was really paying attention to back then. So this one, this one is new to me. Yeah, no, no, no worries. I mean, and this was a little bit before that Nicktoons era as well. Yeah. And so it's crazy to think that this was a cartoon that like existed, but then it didn't really get redubbed and broadcast for an American audience until much, much later mm -hmm. um, from its original airing. So there's a lot, there's a lot to, there's a lot to kind of process with this. I will say for me, this is a cartoon that I watched a ton. And now I, I've, talked about sort of the the idea on the show before of the the Voltron effect which is like if you really enjoy a cartoon from your youth and then you get to that point as a an adult where you can you can watch it again with sort of those those child you know lenses and really enjoy it uh, that's fantastic but it's hard because you know we're adults now and so sometimes you'll watch something that you loved as a kid you'll rewatch it as an adult and you'll suddenly just be like what what is wrong with me? Why was I, why was I into this? Why was this a thing that I liked in the first place? That happened to me with the original Voltron. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was sort of really, it kind of really fucked me up because <laughs> I, <laughs> I loved the show so much. I had the action figures. I was, you know, a uh, super happy kid to, to have those things. And then watching the show again, I was like, oh no, I, this is, this is hard for me to watch and process, but it's okay. I'll say the mysterious cities of gold. I can watch this cartoon and I can hear even just the theme song itself. And it puts me immediately back in my mom's basement Aww. when I was in the 80s. Like, I can tell you, like, exact place, mm -hmm. like, the type of couch, everything that was there, like, when I watched this cartoon. This is, this is really near and dear to my heart. So when we had an opportunity to finally get a chance to talk about it tonight, uh, even just the theme song, everything that I jumped into, I was like, oh, shit, it's, like, 88, 89, and I'm back in my mom's basement. I'm, like, 
seven or eight years old watching this and it's it's like killing me how <laughs> how interesting this is <laughs> so uh so yeah i got really hit with the nostalgia hammer uh just getting into this so couldn't have been happier about all of that and i'm also really happy that this happened to be a listener recommendation uh from Doug Kendall. Who else? It's Doug Kendall. We were joking before the podcast saying that we are going to shut down SMC and we're just going to do the Doug Kendall cast. This is 100% going to be influenced by Doug. He can tell us what he wants. This is now we're in the hands and the control of Doug. Doug wrote to us and said, this is another oddball series from the 80s that no one talks about. Stunning in its weirdness. The sight of the gold condor robot in the intro grabs you and never lets go has one of the best theme songs of all time. Well, I can't wait to get into the theme song portion of this uh, conversation tonight. So thank you, Doug. And as always, for anybody that's listening, you can always go on any of our social media sites and you can recommend a cartoon or you can even call our Google voicemail box, leave us a message. You'll get the credit you deserve and we'll include that clip in the show. So feel free to utilize that. Doug has done it a ton, and we super appreciate it, Doug. Thank you. If you are not familiar with The Mysterious Cities of Gold, it was originally released in Japan as Esteban, Child of the Sun, also called Teonoko Esteban, and in France as Les Mysterious Cities d'Or. It is a Japanese-French animated series that is co-produced by Deke audiovisual, and Studio Pero. The series was originally broadcast in Japan, and the French version, edited to have different characterizations and music, was subsequently redubbed and distributed in many different countries throughout the world. It is currently licensed for the English-language home video release in the United Kingdoms, Australia, and North America by Fabulous Films. The series first aired in English in the United States on the Nickelodeon cable network from June 30th of 1986 to June 29th of 1990. So I guess I would have been six or seven when I did watch this if I incorrectly mentioned the date as being 87, 88. In 2012, three new seasons of 26 episodes each are in production, picking up the storyline where the original series had left off. The original series ended in 1982. And unlike the original series, it's entirely produced in French. Doug Kendall had recommended a cartoon that is called Spartacus and the Sun Beneath the Sea. This, again, was another French-Japanese cartoon that had come out during that time. Uh, it was originally written by, I believe, a, a French company and uh, by a woman named Nina Womack. She had created this entire series, and then I believe the illustrators and the people who had done a lot of the music, including Menudo, who had done the theme song for it, uh, had, put this, had put this piece together for Spartacus. And so I feel like there's a lot of similarities in terms of what we're seeing for the Mysterious Cities of Gold as well as also for the Spartacus. And then evidently there's a third cartoon that kind of rounds this out, which is called Ulysses 31, which we have not had a chance to talk about on this show. If you're listening and you're cheering because I mentioned the name of that cartoon, don't worry, it is on the docket. We are going to get to it at some point. So it's very interesting to know that like the, the cartoon, the original run ended in 82. United States didn't get it until 86, and it was redubbed for all these different countries. And I mean, you can tell a little bit about the, the redubbing. I think they take some, some strategic angles in terms of how they're going to do and process that, but we're not going to get there yet. First and foremost, we need to learn a little bit about what this show is about because there's a lot that's there. And so Isabel and Jeff are going to help us out. Yes. 
So it is the 16th century. From all over Europe, great ships sail west to conquer the New World, the Americas. The men, eager to seek their fortune, to find adventure in new lands. They long to cross uncharted seas and discover unknown countries, to find secret gold on a mountain trail high in the Andes. They dream of following the path of the setting sun that leads to El Dorado and the mysterious cities of gold. All right. In 1532, a Spanish orphan named Esteban joins Mendoza, a navigator and his associates Sancho and Pedro, in their search for one of the seven cities of gold in the New World, hoping to find his father. They are joined on their quest by Zia, an Incan girl, who was kidnapped by Gomez, Gaspar, Perez, and Mendoza, and Tao, the last descendant of the sunken empire of Mu. Mu was renamed Hiva in the English dub. It's interesting because evidently Mu has been written about in like ancient texts. It's been mentioned before. It's essentially Atlantis. That's uh, part of what Atlantis is also referred to as Mu. And evidently Hiva was like, I believe, a Polynesian island or a group that was out there. So it's interesting that they took him from being this one character, Tao, from being Atlantean all of a sudden to being Polynesian. And then they were just kind of like, yeah, we don't really know what he is. We're just going to <laughs> give him a bowl it, cut. Change it in the react. <laughs> just going to give him a bowl cut. <laughs> and just see how he, he responds. To it. He does terrific with it. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Maybe one of the few people who actually does great with a bowl cut. It's hard. <laughs> All right. Um, we've talked about this. Doug had obviously mentioned about this too we can't really get into any of the other topics with first talking about the theme song. I want to know, Isabel, what was your impression of this theme song? I loved it. Okay. My, my initial thought was, yeah, no, wipe oh, that God. sweat off your forehead. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. <laughs> it's so catchy. It had a great beat. I'm interested to hear from a musician's point of view, exactly what style you would say, but it sounded kind of funky to me. Like it had a really just, propulsive beat it was catchy i found myself like dancing along to it on the couch and <laughs> i i just thought it was a fantastic song um the lyrics were simple about friends and adventure you know um and the animation was nothing mind-blowing it was cute you know but the song itself i thought was fantastic awesome jeff i liked it as well okay i felt like when i pressed play to watch this I just got hit in the face with just the aura of hippiness and <laughs> some sort of drugs. Like I'm, I'm confident that those dudes would have all failed a drug test <laughs> if you had tested them while they were making this song. I'm cool with that. That's why I liked it so yeah, much. Yeah, like I like it. Just it definitely, <laughs> it definitely felt like just. I was like, man, this just seems like this is like six dudes in like a drum circle and they're all wearing Bajas <laughs> and like Birkenstocks. <laughs> and I loved it. So it made me ready. You know, I think the, the from the synopsis that we had uh, from the, the portion that Isabel uh, had mentioned, this is the, the opening narration. I, I love it when cartoons kind of hit you with this open narration of just like, I'm going to set the stage for you really quickly. It's going to be like three or four sentences. I'm going to lay the groundwork for you. So even if you're coming in, whether it's like episode, I don't know, one, like we watched tonight, or also episode 37, like we also watched tonight, uh, 
which was happens to be the highest rated episode that was on IMDb, which is called City of Gold. We also just watched episode one called Esteban, the Child of the Sun. Um, I like that kind of context to kind of like bring you in and like set the stage and just really kind of make it unbelievably simple for you. Like, what am I watching? What am I getting into? And I feel that it's one of those things that like over time, the more you hear it, it's going to kind of become one of those things that you just kind of recite out loud with them, like, you know, in the 16th century, <laughs> you know, you, you you kind of get on board with it as well. And maybe you do your own uh, dramatic reading of it <laughs> as it's going on. But then it hits you with this unbelievably catchy theme song. Uh, and it's it's dynamite. This is probably one of my favorite. Like I keep saying on episodes, this is probably one of my favorite theme songs, but Man, this one, again, this one transported me back. So this this was killing me. And it's crazy because uh, this was actually done by uh, a, an Israeli singer. His name is Noam. Um, he, this guy has sold like 8 million records worldwide. He's responsible for a lot of noteworthy cartoon introductions, such as X-Men, uh, The Mysterious Cities of Gold. He did Heathcliff and the Cadillac Cats, Code Lyoko. Uh, I'm just throwing out episodes that we've, talked about on this show Heathcliff had a great theme song right exactly and this guy does has done a lot of the work on that he was also involved with like Power Rangers for a long time too and those guys are just you know unbelievably catchy as well Uh, this was also done by Saban uh, Levy who we've talked about a ton on this uh, this production group uh, of these two uh, Israeli Americans who have put together a lot of this stuff and Gnome has worked with them on a bunch of this uh, Levy has done soundtracks for children's television like throughout the ages. In addition to the ones that I've already mentioned, he's done like Inspector Gadget, mm-hmm. Mask, Dinosaurs, He-Man, She-Ra. I mean, there's just Jason the Wheeled Warriors. I mean, there's unbelievable amount of cartoons from when we grew up uh, from the 80s, 90s, 2000s that this group has worked on that these guys have put together. So, I mean, it makes sense. You got a super group together to do a theme song of course, these guys are are like the you know I guess Canada has the the super band uh, Broken Social Scene. Uh, the, this group of guys they're like the Israeli American version of whatever Canadians Broken Social Scene is. Well, uh, I thought it was really cool as well, just because like as soon as the song came on, I was listening not only just as an observer, but I was also like, oh damn, I might be able to sample that. So then it got me real into like the rest of the episode and I was definitely like pulling out like time points where I was like, yo, I might, I might have to run this on my computer, see if I can make a beat out of some of oh, these little please. sounds that I'm, I'm hearing in the show. So, uh, I mean, now that you said that it was these dudes that got all sorts of cartoon bangers just throughout history, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. Never has a flute jammed so hard than the opening of this song. It's fantastic. And it, you know, it's interesting too, because I think there are parts of this that are a hybrid uh, animation and visuals for this part of the theme song. It looks like one or two of the clips would have been recycled from like a, an episode, but there are a ton of pieces that they have that look like they're dedicated animation. Uh, one of them in particular is this random moment where we see Esteban sort of like jump, but also kick his sandal up, and there's mm-hmm. like a freeze frame for no reason. I don't know why that was included, but it's kind of fun to sort of see him just like jump in the middle of the air, kick his foot up, and just like the sandal comes off, but everything freeze frames. And I I guess maybe it was just to kind of show sort of the the playful, childlike nature of the the particular character. And that's super fun. I get it. It just it struck me, I think maybe the fifth or sixth time I watched it, I was like, why 
is that sandal keep coming off? <laughs> like, what is going on with the footwear in this show? <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. Uh, and I, I will say that it's interesting too because you know we we talked about especially in the synopsis that there's a there's a pretty large cast of characters that we have. We get absolutely no roll call. We get a lot of characters who are kind of like facing in one direction, and then simultaneously all three of those characters and then looking in another direction at the same time. <laughs> and that was kind of fun. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, just the, the visuals, the, the music, the lyrics that you, you have that are going on, uh, just didn't kind of lend themselves. But there is something about that, like, moment where you hear that, ah, I don't know what it is about that. I love that. That's what, that's what I was like, oh, I might be able to make that. Is that it? Oh. Yeah. I was singing along with that mm-hmm. part. Yeah, yeah, at home. It's too good. It's just too good, guys. Oh, man. In terms of introducing the characters, they made Esteban and Tao look like they were having fun in the water at one point. But then poor Zia, the only thing we see from her in the intro is wiping a tear. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. It's not, it's <laughs> it's not, not fun. fun. No, it's not. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like wasn't the first episode our introduction to her was just they just stuffed her in a box and <laughs> stuck under the ship and like, oh, wait. You saw her in a balcony. Yeah, you yeah. see her in a balcony in the town square. Yeah. Uh, but then you see her in a box later <laughs> in the show. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that I was just, ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, here's the challenge that we've had with so many of these older cartoons like this. Uh, they're a little bit sexist. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're a little bit sexist. And when I say a little bit, they're a lot of it sexist. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to apologize for any of their behavior. I mean, I, it is what it is in terms of this cartoon we didn't create the cartoon by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we're just simple observers <laughs> of what we see, but man, it is not kind sometimes. Mm-mm. So it's, it's hard. Well, I felt that the, you know, since I didn't see this as a kid, I only got to watch it through my adult lenses. And so that innocence is gone, I guess, in terms of just watching <laughs> the story and playing along with it. And I think for me that came out very specifically with, uh, the setting up and the exposition at the the first episode, because I was just like, man, like, there's r- really no kind of nuance into introducing anything. It's just like, hey, look at Steven. This is the next part of the story that this kid needs to know. Like the kid viewer, they just would say like, this is what's next, and like they just bring people in, and um, that kind of it jarred me at first because I was like, man. Like you guys are not doing a good job of setting up this story. But then I'm like, well, this is not made for 38 year old men. This is made for like six year old kids. And they don't really need to go through all like the backstories that I want to hear that I'm expecting. So I'll say this to kind of uh, not as a counterpoint, but, but really to, to honestly back you up on this in terms of a first episodes hero's journey, this felt like it was not super forced. I think that there were definitely some like points that they kind of left out or kind mm-hmm. of like danced around yeah. or, or relationships that they were like, let's build them immediately. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago on the episode that we had that is coming out before ours for King Arthur and the Knights of Justice, I mean, you have to realize it's like, it's Camelot's under attack is like the first uh, beat Um football players that are riding on like a terrible uh, back road uh, during the middle of like a storm that get transported back to Camelot, they immediately become knights. Mm. 
and they're like, and then that's, they're just cool with, and it. they're just like cool. <laughs> they're, honestly, their leader, uh, Arthur King, get it, get it, get it. <laughs> he just instantly goes, you know what? I believe the wizard, and you're just like, yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. Like that's fucking it. Game time. I, <laughs> I felt like with this, at least they kind of like ease you into some points a little bit. Like there's some history that they're gonna backfill, but they kind of hint and allude to that. And yeah. so, even as you know, even as somebody who remembers the show myself, yeah. I don't remember particulars of episodes. And so for me, I was like, okay, set the stage, and like nothing felt like rushed. Yeah, I don't. It, I didn't. It didn't feel rushed to me. It didn't feel forced, but it felt very just like. Here's the shit that you need to know. Yeah. And then when it was time for some new shit that you need to know, this is the new shit that you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> There's no kind of build up. It's just like this is what's this is what it is. This is what it is over over there. This is where that guy came from. This dude behind me that you don't <laughs> see, he's gonna keep, come here for this. <laughs> and. But it got you ready, so yeah. I, I like that. And then by the time you know we got to episode thirty-seven, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I was only asking like, "Yo, who are these little bald-headed aliens?" <laughs> yeah, that's honestly. But <laughs> it took me like one minute. I was like, "All right, I'm on board." So. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you're right. The transitions were clunky in the first episode. It would yeah. be like they'd be talking in the bar, and then they'd be like, "And Father Richard is probably a lot sicker right now." And then it would cut to Father Richard. You know, it was just like these yeah. weird clunky transitions. Oh, if I could only talk to Esteban <laughs> one more time. Don't get angry at him. He's a kid. He needs to play. Oh, but if I had one more time. Like, All right, well, which one is it? Yeah. Which one is it, Padre? Like, what are you trying to do, man? Yeah. It's, that's what kills me. It's, <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely some some weirdness in terms of this, and I wonder sometimes how much of it is the dub. Yeah, you know how much yeah. of it is the dub. Like, I would love to watch like the actual like Japanese version or the French version and see sort of like what some of the nuances are. Mm. Um, you know, and watch a subtitled version of that. Mm. But right now, available on Amazon Prime as mm-hmm. well as also on YouTube, they didn't have any of those. So we're watching with we're watching what we got, gang. So not not bad. Any any final thoughts or notes about theme song? No, the theme song was fire, and I I really hope to share some music with you guys that may or may not sample the theme song. I I'm, say it like that because I want to put it on Spotify. Yes, I'm honestly so excited about the prospect. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> cool. Well. I want to kind of pivot and talk a little bit about the animation. Mm. Um, obviously, we've talked about, you know, Deke and we have uh, Saban Levy and we have some of these people who are kind of working uh, on this particular project, Studio Puro. Uh, what was your impression, Isabel, of the animation, the style of the animation? Um, it looked to me kind of like uh, the 80s cartoons like He-Man and Scooby-Doo in terms of like a lot of the the adult characters had these very defined jaw lines that reminded me of um like the villains in scooby-doo and um yeah so that just seemed similar i could see that for like the the older hanna-barbera or even like ruby spears cartoons when they when they weren't anthropomorphizing something like the human characters okay yeah Mm -hmm. i could see that Mm -hmm. cool um for me the first thing i thought of and i'm not sure if it was like the animation style or the general multiculturalism of the characters but it made me think of captain planet okay um i don't know why just i think it was the bowl cuts man it made me think of <laughs> earth, earth dude is that got earth or is it i mean kwame 
Who yeah, did the, Earth? Whoever had a bowl cut on Captain Planet who was like some sort of like Asian or Spanish or something like uh, that. Mati. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He so, had heart. Yeah, it made me kind of harken back to that. But then it also made me think of like, um, I want to say like old Speed Racer cartoons, specifically yep. with like the shapes of some of the faces, like the, I guess, Pancho and Sancho or the, the skinny dude and like his little short fat homie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the one guy had the real messed up mustache with the big lip yeah kind of i don't can't describe it but it made me just think of um speed racer in terms of like just the inspiration for that stuff so yeah just sort of like the the stereotype or archetypical characters that you would kind of see like this is the beanpole guy or this is the heavier set friend exactly yeah no i feel that too and the pair of them were kind of i felt like the comic relief in the show you know there wasn't a lot of comedy but they were so dumb that you could kind of laugh at them. I almost feel like there was little to no comedy. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I this, didn't laugh at all. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of times, like, we'll, we'll get into it in a bit. There were, there were things that happened in this that I was just like, oh, okay. Wow, <laughs> we're, really, we're really on a trajectory right now that is not backing down. We are full, like, pedal to the metal, like, accelerator to the floor. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like the Omic slamming oil. Little homie into the rocks. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yep. Oh. It really it was hard too because like this would have been on Nickelodeon, you know, uh, mid mid to to late eighties. I was trying to figure out. I was like, when did Legends of the Hidden Temple come out? Like, because yeah. the the Stone Temple had Olmec. Oh yeah. Who like? See, I was like, why is give you all that? Familiar, That's yeah. exactly what it was, man. Mm. So yeah, crazy. <laughs> uh, I'll say for this, the animation gave me. Um, a very Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind vibe, which would have come out in 1984. So it would have come out, I think, like a year after the original broadcast of this would have ended. Uh, That was an early Miyazaki uh, film that he would have put together. It was like before Studio Ghibli had officially kind of been created. A lot of people still credit that work as being like a part of Studio Ghibli and a lot of what Miyazaki is really well known for. But sort of that early uh, 80s anime style in terms of what they look like. But I 100% agree with you. Speed Racer's spot on, and I 100% agree with you as well. Like that Hanna-Barbera, Ruby Spears, I'm sure that that had to have been influential at some point, especially because Hanna-Barbera and Ruby Spears had probably been going for like a decade to a decade and a half prior to this this cartoon even getting produced and, and you know having been put into production. And so it's, it's kind of crazy to think that like, it's kind of this culmination of a lot of these different things that were going on just in terms of animation at that time. So it's, it's interesting. I liked it. And I, I, you know, I agree with Jeff's point about the, the kind of the multicultural nature. Like this was pretty great in terms of representation. Yeah. 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 I I was like, Oh snap. We're starting off in Barcelona. I was like, all right, let's see where this goes. Yeah. And they kind of, you know, moved it around from there. Right. I, you know, it's even like funny because even like the, the one guy that I want to say, I, I still don't know if this character, I don't know if I believe that this character is good or if he's bad, um, being the Mendoza character. Mm. Mm. And I, I, I kind of like, but again, like he was kind of a white dude. Like, I mean, I know that they were in Barcelona, you know, so maybe he was a Spaniard, uh, but like he was portrayed and animated as being like predominantly Caucasian. Like in a group, you know, in a town, the people that were there that kind of were also animated as being primarily Caucasian. Man, now that I'm thinking about that, they just, they had a lot of Caucasian people that were in that town, that Spanish <laughs> town. Well, I mean, you know, it's still Europe, so it's, it's yeah. legit, but. 
I don't know if this is too soon to get into thoughts on Mendoza, but... Well, I think we're at the point where we can start talking about characters, so... One of the things that jumped out to me, especially since uh, when I watched this, I did kind of have a little bit of the last episode that I I stopped by on in my head. Um, And we had a talk about, I don't remember the guy's name, but the grown man that decided that he needed this little kid to do the Gundam shit with him. Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, why do we keep getting these cartoons where these grown men are just like pulling little boys out from like wherever they're at and just being like, yo, I need you to help save the world. And it's like the whole like Mendoza definitely creeped me out. I think as a youth, when I watched it, he would not have creeped me out. But as an adult, I'm like, yo, man, no, this is this kind of creeper. This dude's like a little lightweight human trafficker. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely like on the registry. (laughs) But he, he he tells a good story to like you know reel him in. That's a, the whole thing about the cities of gold is like his free candy van. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like he makes a compelling point about like you know when he says like you know I rescued you from the you know from the ocean from your father that day, and you know here I have this this piece of uh, you know jewelry that fits into the necklace that you wear, and I I stole it, and was it wrong of me to steal it? Yeah, sure, but. You know, how was I supposed to know? And I'm like, okay, yeah, but that's not like a, it's not an explanation for your <laughs> shitty, Yeah, it's not a justification for your shitty behavior. Yeah, and you know who takes rewards and trophies? Serial killers. And pedophiles. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. I watch Madness for You, so I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I also, I mean, I thought he was so manipulative to him because yeah. he was like, oh, there's a chance your dad's still alive. Oh, is there? Because in the yeah. flashback, it looked like the dad definitely drowned. Yeah. So I yeah. thought to tell this poor kid, your dad might be alive in the new world. So come. And that was the thing that convinced Esteban, Free right? Oh. And then when they get him on the boat, he's like, oh, you want to go with me on this trip? Yeah, we got to go do this. Gets him on the boat. Yo, hide next to this box in the dark real quick till I say it's cool to come out. I thought you had clout. No, you don't. Not, not to mention, you're killing me with this. Not to mention the fact that, like, when he gets them on the boat, they're just like it's in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. He pulls them on board, and like the other two, uh, our comedy relief are already there, and they're just like, "Oh, don't worry, we've given them enough wine that a gunshot wouldn't wake them." I'm like, "Wait, yeah. this started with a kidnapping, <laughs> and then you drugged a bunch of people." And don't forget the brown girl on the box that's already there, <laughs> nah, like I'm, who's gagged and bound. I I can't forget it. Yeah. But like it's one of those things where I'm just like I'm waiting for Hanson, like Chris Hansen just to be like, So what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to get to the new world. But what are you doing here? <laughs> you got kids, you got one in a box. Like what Esteban you... said he was eighteen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he showed me his ID. You're at like the sixteenth century. What ID are you carrying with you, man? You're lucky you have paper. I mean, I hope that, and I probably will go back and watch more, so I'm hoping that <laughs> he does make his motives better known and, and set himself up as that character, as I, I'm pretty sure that they want him to be. But the first episode, I was like, this isn't it, Chief. Like, mm-hmm. this yeah. is, you're sketching me out. Well, I mean, you know, it's not as bad, and, and, and Jeff, you did mention this. Uh, back in December, you were on episode 224, Gundam Mobile Suit uh, 0080, War in the Pocket, but yeah, we just keep bringing you on for like when there's kidnapping episodes. So I'm, I really apologize, man. This was not intentional. That's cool, man. It makes it it makes it more fun, you know. <laughs> just the common theme across kidnapping for cartoons. Yeah, just a weird common theme. We gotta see how long we can make it last. So that's 
that's my challenge to you for any other future ones. That's what I expect some sort of weird man boy situation. Oh, like, I don't know that I want to. Yeah. One, I don't know that I want to take that task on. Two, I don't want our listeners to suddenly get suggestions and be like, here's a cartoon that's got that. I'm like, I don't know that I want people knowing that. Hey, man, we'll just blame it on Doug. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. This is like the first and last time Doug recommends a cartoon. He's like, you know what? Now he's in charge. He's like, shut down the whole Kendall cast. I don't want anybody a part of this. I'm done. You're tarnishing the name. Oh, man. Yeah, Mendoza's definitely an interesting character. And I feel the same way. Like, I hope even when we flash forwarded to episode 37 to see this, I was like, I'm still unsure. Yeah. Like, I'm still in a gray area for him. Like, there are moments where I feel like he's obviously motivated by gold but then like i took a step back and i'm like yeah everybody in this show is motivated by gold yeah i'm like so if that's the only thing that i'm looking at from him i don't think that that's fair assessment because everybody is trying to get to this city of gold you know or, or just wherever the stockpile treasure is and and capture it for themselves uh i don't know it's just weird but they definitely make him seem like He's got these leadership qualities, you know, because like in the first episode, he was the only one at that saloon who like had noticed where Esteban was also a little creepy. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> he in episode 37, they're about to go find the city. And one of the other guys is like, oh, is getting all nervous. And Mendoza, the way he delivered all his lines, he was so unflappable. Like he was just like, yeah, this is an important moment, you know, but he just had this like weird leader vibe it's like nothing phases him yes. he's just yeah. like you haven't kidnapped kids before and brought them into the world it's the like, confidence man the yeah. confidence changes everything you can do anything you want if you just are like i'm supposed to be doing this a little bit of conviction goes a long way yeah there's a kid in the box down there but don't worry about it it's totally cool i'm not worried about it also just like don't say shit like, yeah <laughs> wait till we get out to open ocean then i'll tell you when you're here international waters <laughs> believe me they won't throw a kid overboard. <laughs> Wait, don't you know don't you know sailors or pirates like not not only do we have one stowaway at this point we've got two stowaways at this point i'm just like you know maybe get rid of one of the kids you know this you got a 50 50 chance here esteban this is this is dangerous choppy waters that you're treading on right now that's true mm -hmm. man so i know obviously jeff uh, has got a lot to say about mendoza and i think there is a lot that needs to be said about mendoza you're 100 percent correct Isabel, any particular characters that either you you loved or you hated from the show, or maybe that you were just like, I have questions about their intent. Um, I mean, well, Esteban, the main character, at first I was confused about was his only power the ability to turn rain into sun? Because that's what it seemed like from episode one. And I was like, is that why Mendoza wants him on this journey, just to clear up the weather like for that? But then it became clear that he had the medallion and all of that. Gotcha. Um, but I, the thing I kept thinking about with Esteban was how much he reminded me of Harry Potter. That he's got this like special power. He has to leave home to kind of manifest it. And that's the hero's journey, call to adventure kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I guess Esteban stood out to me the most. I liked Zia, but she had such a small role that it was hard to get into her character. And maybe it gets developed more in the other episodes. But she, I kept getting so frustrated because it would be like, 10 lines for Esteban to every one for Zia, even when they're in the same scene. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like it's crazy to think that how close this is in terms of parallels to this Spartacus and the sun beneath the sea, like kids on an adventure. There's a French influence. 
lost cities mm. and the treasure ultimately being knowledge. Oh. And so for me, I'm just like, ooh, okay, I'm intrigued. But I can see the point about being like, okay, so this guy can control weather. Cool. So he's like an orphan storm from the X-Men. Mm. Got it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, do they just want him so that the ships, you know, have clear passage? Because that's kind of what it seems like they're using him for. Right. You know, we're, we're thrown into this point where they have this uh, this celebration where they're just like, we need this kid to clear up the weather. And he doesn't believe it. But everybody else seems to have like this like weird confidence in his abilities to the point where like they have royalty out on balconies overlooking and seeing what he's doing. Like there are people who are like genuflecting and, and like paying respect to him. And this kid doesn't seem to want it. You know, and that's what reminded me of Harry Potter. Like everyone's in awe of him, and he doesn't necessarily want those powers, but or know that he has those powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I hated when they hoisted him up on that thing to make the rain stop in the beginning. Remember that they hoisted him up on that oh, yeah. tall thing, and it was lightning, and he kept saying, "I'm dizzy. I want to come down." I was like, "Oh." I was hoping the rain didn't stop. I was like, "What are you guys <laughs> going to do if it doesn't stop?" He was going to like toss him into a volcano. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, this this one's a dud. <laughs> Go get another one. <laughs> Whoa. It's a dark turn real quick. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I do have a question though. Um, and th- again, because I didn't get to see some of the episode, some of the other episodes, but is that his power? Like, does he have the power to control the weather? I believe so. I think that that's like in part, you know, the, cause they allude to it very early in the story, you know, with his, with his dad getting lost at sea that he's like a crying baby on a ship. And so like he may have ultimately been the temper tantrum on that boat that led to his dad's demise, mm. you know, bringing mm-hmm. in the storm. And then when they, when the kid was saved and he was happy again, like the skies cleared up and it was beautiful again. Peel back another layer of the onion, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that there could be something to be said. Am I probably stretching on this? Probably not. I mean, let's be very honest. They probably, <laughs> this is probably verbatim, like what they were thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, and Mendoza's is just like 100% manipulating him to get him, to get him to do his bidding. But I mean, it's, it's weird. It's, it's hard too, because like we didn't get a lot of Zia uh, in this and we didn't get a lot of Tao other than him just getting like smacked up against the cliff face by the Olmex. Uh, I want to talk about really quick this, these uh, Sancho and Pedro characters uh, that we have who are the comic relief uh, or should have been the comic <laughs> relief. Yeah, they uh, definitely weren't. But. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the fact that these guys are out there and they're like, they're making no, there's no mystery behind them. Like these guys are on the surface exactly who they are. These are the people that they are. And I love the fact that they're just like, Hey gang, we're in a bar, invest money in us and your money will come back like a thousand fold, like a hundred fold, thousand fold, a million fold. Like this boat is going to come back and it is going to be full of cash. Now I can't imagine making a sales pitch to somebody like that. (laughs) With having nothing to back it up, like, <laughs> like they don't they don't have a map, you know they don't really have, uh, you know they have a boat, so that's like a that's like a green check, you know, for being positive. Do they though? Uh, didn't they have to like get people drunk on the boat so they wouldn't notice that they're taking? It? I feel that like they got them drunk just so that they could kidnap the kids. I feel like they were crew um, members. Okay, okay. Of that boat, so mm. they'd wake up and be like, oh, "Okay, this is still the regular boat." Yeah, yeah. They're just kids down. Below. Yeah, exactly. 
We got everybody wine. Let me explain the story. We got everybody wine drunk, <laughs> really wine drunk. And then we snuck not one, but two kids onto this boat. One's in a box. One's just hiding. They're going to wake up far from land away from their families. And you and- get to throw one overboard. Wait, what? <laughs> but it's your choice. <laughs> this show could have gone horribly wrong. If they decide they ever want to do any 2019 remakes, I would love to be available for story consulting. Well, again, 2012 is when they picked up as a direct continuation of the uh, of the original series, and they did like three more seasons of this show. I'm going to have to come check it out, especially because the first season was like 39 episodes. Yeah. Like, what year is this? Yeah. You don't um, see that anymore. I mean, it was 82. It's weird because it didn't hit that cartoon syndication mark of 65 episodes. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, like I love the fact that it feels like they wrote this cartoon with an end in mind. Mm. Yeah. They were like, here's the beats. Here's where they're going to go. Here's going to be the story points. Here's the journey. You know, and we got some, I feel like there was some satisfying moments in episode 37, you know, where they actually kind of actually open up the gates to the cities of gold. And you're like, oh shit, like, yeah. mm-hmm. this is interesting. You I know? mean, I, I like that. And just in addition, like, although the story is pretty straightforward, I really enjoyed, I guess, where the inspiration came from, like the history that they kind of base a story off of, like the Incas and... right. Uh, Atlantis and like all that mythology. So I like that they, they did that. And um, I feel like at the end of, I think 30 episode 37 was when they explained about the two warring cities that had figured out how to harness the sun. Right. Um, And then after that, like the end of those episodes gave you those little weird, real, real life action, mini documentaries. Yep. About like history, and I was like, "This is kind of dark," especially the second one. These things are. Well, I'll, oh, I'm going to take you to task on the first one then too, because yeah. the first one's real dark as. Oh, because the first one's like, so they like to sacrifice a young girl, and then they cut to a picture of a young girl, and they're about to like uh, stab her with a dagger. Yeah, yeah. I totally forgot about that because yeah. the second one I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you're just so desensitized at that point." I think that we're pretty squarely in the plot discussion point, so let's let's get into some of these. PSAs that we have that are at the end of the episodes because these guys are a little bit of a doozy. Uh, so we talked sort of about the the warring factions uh, and the cities that we have, um, you know, just in terms of the the history that we have that's kind of behind the scenes for this, uh, you know, where they're they're talking specifically in the second PSA about sort of uh, well, let me make a correction. We're taught we're learning about the two like cities like Atlantis and such that harness the weapons of the sun and kind of destroyed each other for the sake of the cartoon. The second PSA, they talk about uh, Cortez yeah, like real mm. life. and they talk about like how he was accepted by Montezuma and he was considered a God because he happened to like arrive like on the exact date and time that had been like prophesized. And that just like, it gets, it becomes a very violent PSA or like, and it's not even a PSA, like a historical recap, you know, um, where I was kind of uh, I was kind of interested because at one point they were just like the name Hernando Cortez is forever stained. And like they show like a splatter of blood on a yeah. rock. And I was like, yeah. And then a river running with blood. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember I was always very into mythology and stuff as a kid. So I do remember those stories, but. I never kind of connected connected any sort of humanity with them. 
for some reason. I guess because it's just history. And you're like, oh, that just happened a long time ago. But when I was watching the PSA, I was like, man, Cortez was a dick. Yeah. I wrote down Cortez, ice cold. Yeah. I'm like, you showed up and these dudes like lay out the red carpet. And you're like, oh, that's tight. I'm also going to kill you. Yeah. And take your gold and ball out. Like, come on, man. It, it's, a, it's like the simple fact that like Cortez you know, is there simply to to destroy these people and look for the city of gold. He's greeted as a god, uh, you know, probably bringing over whatever diseases he has at this point. So, like, that's a strike against him. He's just killing people without even knowing it. Yeah. You know, which is stone cold. Then followed up with a part where he's just like, oh, no, now I'm going to, like, officially kill you because at some point they mentioned that, you know, he had suddenly kind of, he was accepted was doing well with them and then was at a dinner and then that night was like, nah, I'm going to kill you guys. Yeah. Like I'm going to kill all of you. And it made me wonder, like, I know that we get taught some of that in history, but I wondered like how does history or how do other cultures who were directly involved in that as like the victims look back? Like how do they teach Hernan Cortez down in South or Central America or wherever that was, you know, are they like, well, this fuckhead came through and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Or is it like, he helped usher in, you know, is, is he remember, remembered positively or negatively, you know? I mean, I, I, I see where you're going for both. Yeah. I, I mean, and I, I think that you could probably very easily make a, an argument for both. Like, yeah. you know, he, you know, like there was some, you know, there was some industrialization that he brought over. There was some new technology. There was new medicine. There was new, you know, there was a lot of new ways of thoughts and culture and life but at the same time like he destroyed culture like he destroyed probably you know thousands hundreds of thousands of people you know that were living peacefully there and so i'm gonna i'm gonna go pretty firmly in that i hope that they talk shit about him yeah me too me too what a dick fuck that dude yeah they greeted him as a god if i ever went to some other country and they greeted me as a god i would just be happy and smiling and like, like i live here now yeah uh i'm gonna do the kendall uh, the kendall cast <laughs> from this new country yeah. where i'm considered a god yeah and i'm just hanging out doing this from now on like this is these people are great and yeah. i'm just gonna be really nice to them because they're super cool to me mm-hmm. they just bring me tons of mangoes right i'm good what, what do i need <laughs> just mangoes and i just want uh crispy chicken skins that's it that's all i want they would provide that happily yeah he ruined it Perfect. We should also mention that we have eaten crispy chicken skins before we came down here. Yeah, <laughs> they were delicious. Yeah. Uh, any any additional questions, sort of about this episode? I think that we we mentioned the first PSA and just kind of like how brutally terrible, but it does do a good job of kind of explaining the story. Um, you know, saying that people were searching for El Dorado and that the reason that they were searching for El Dorado in the first place was because. Somebody had come back with some small nuggets of gold and some some stories, a couple yarns that some Incans or Native Americans had spun to them at that time. And people were just like, oh, this must be factual. Like, why would these people ever joke with us or, or tell us a tall tale? And, you know, maybe they just weren't under maybe they were in the maybe they were under the impression that they didn't understand sort of like cultural storytelling or, or mythology that they had you know, in that particular culture that they were, they were looking for this gold from. But then they also talk about the fact that there was like a man that was painted in gold that walked out into a lake and people like threw their jewelry into the lake to support him for all of this. And he like poisoned a lake with like his gold 
I I had no idea about that. Like that yeah. kind of like that stuff was just fascinating to me. So like these are brutal. Mm-hmm. These these little historical nuggets at the end, they are they are brutal. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, okay, this this was historically what happened, and this is what recorded. Like you know, we go you know a couple centuries back before this, we were still kind of at the tail end of the Crusades. Mm. Yeah. You know, so like these weren't super the best times <laughs> in world history in general. I mean, it was still a time of like doggy dog you know, in terms of like civilizations clashing and, you know, conquering each other and stuff like that. Yeah. You still threw, I mean, back then you threw shit out the window to flush. So <laughs> that's kind of where we were. You just your chamber pot. Yeah. Just dumping it. But uh, like I, I liked those PSAs um, because again, for me, like because this was so old, I felt like there was definitely a marked change in what, kind of content we put in cartoons for kids changed over the years. I don't feel like you would see something like that at the end of a cartoon mm. now. No. Um, so seeing that, I was like, this is awesome. And as a kid back then, I would have loved this too still. I love it now. <laughs> I love it then. And then just visually, it also made me think of, uh, I just felt like at first I was watching like just cut scenes from like Cannibal Holocaust. If yeah. you've seen that. Mm-hmm. So. It's it's a real gross movie, but oh, <laughs> um, yeah, there's another one that came out a couple years ago called Green Mile, which was sort of like the cannibal holocaust of like our generation. <laughs> yeah. It's, Wait, what? Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's you like you mean on- the the Green Mile movie with Tom Hanks? Oh my god, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to wrap my mind around that too. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, no. Oh, I, I would love to see those two tied together. <laughs> this would be amazing. Now I'm looking up the name of the movie because I feel like... <laughs> Damn it. Uh, Green Inferno. Uh, okay. Green Inferno. Green see, I haven't seen fuck. that, but I have heard of it, so... Yeah, it's not it's not as bad as uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still, it's still ultra-violent yeah. cannibalism stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's it's also just not a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Like in general. So and that. if you're out there listening and you disagree with me, do not at me. Remember, <laughs> you want to at Charlie Visconage. That's Twitter at Sweaty in the City. <laughs> send him all of the hate mail that you would normally send to me. <laughs> oh man. Well, I wanna I wanted to ask, uh I know that we've talked a little bit about sort of the the cultural and historical relevance of the particular cartoon, kind of what it entailed. I wanted to see if there were any questions. We, we watched these two episodes, as we've mentioned, um, that kind of really jumped across the, the board. Again, episode one being Esteban, Child of the Sun, and episode 37, which is City of Gold, which was the highest rated episode that was on IMDb. And so I wanted to check and see if there were any questions that we could get down to answer tonight. Well, I was wondering if you guys thought um, the, the show was kind of preachy. I, I think a lot of the 80s cartoons had this preachy element of like, here's a little moral for these kids to learn. And in the first episode, it was, they kept repeating that he had to use his power to help others. And I felt like that was just mm-hmm. kind of like hammered in a little heavy handedly. And, um, and then in episode 37, the way that Tao was being so selfless and saying like, you know, don't worry about me, just don't open the gates, you know, even as he was getting smashed, you know, I just felt like I just got 
irritated with how much they were trying to be like teaching everyone to be a good person and a selfless person and and Esteban's final decision to open the gates to save his friend again like reinforcing that idea of like you must be good you must help others you know I don't know did you guys notice that I did um I definitely felt like it was kind of you know especially well it's it's always this way but I feel like cartoons are a sort of socialization um, for kids. So I could definitely mm-hmm. see them just lacking nuance in mm-hmm. this instance to, to kind of hammer those things home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with Jeff. I think that it's, it's like, I, I saw it and I picked up on it. I didn't think it, I didn't feel that it was heavy handed. Mm. Uh, I felt that it was kind of like mentioned because they were like, Hey, this kid is unique and we have to explain what his powers are mm. uh, from that. You know, when we when we saw it then later on, like the the sacrifice and the decision that then Esteban has to make, I felt like it was pretty on brand with his character in terms of just, you know, hey, these are my friends. I've done these incredible journeys and adventures with them. Of course, I'm not going to let you slam him against the cliff face anymore. I'm going to open up this city. Like, I mean, even in the direction, like in terms of the the logical story arc, they had to open up that door. They're in front of a giant door Zia and Esteban both have medallions that are the only two people who can open this. And they're like, the decision needs to be made by two innocents. Yeah. Like two innocent kids have to be able to make this decision. And he's like, well, I'm not going to let my friend get fucked over. Mm-hmm. It takes it out, puts it in like, and that's it. Like he decision made even Zia in that instance, which sadly, like I didn't feel like we get at least for these two episodes that we received a lot of character development for her, like follows it up with like, yeah, I'm going to protect my friend, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I kind of like that little trio knowing full well that they would have like looked out for each other. Like something about that was very childish. Uh, I don't want to say childish. Something like that was very, uh, made me remember like friends that you had when you were growing up. It was like, well, you know, if they can't like go on a bike ride, then I guess I won't go on a bike ride. Like, you know, I'll stick at the. They had a certain purity that the adults in the show didn't have because they're all just the kids didn't really give a shit about the gold. Oh yeah, they're no. just like this is cool adventures with my friends. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like you're. I feel like you hit the nail on the head with this. Like these kids could not. Like they don't really give a shit about what this treasure is. Like they just want to go on an adventure. Like they just want to. I guess in some cases, like they just want to go on an adult adventure. You know where they can kind of you know have respect or that they can. Uh, you know, meet new friends and, and have a good time. Uh, and all of these, you know, I feel like the motivation of, again, everybody that's on this show is like, we got to get that gold. We got to get that treasure. It's kind of gross how obsessed they are with gold. You know, it's just like, no. they don't seem to care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just like, you know, that's adults. We're not, we're not. Yeah. Shit. I mean, that's like the absolute power corrupts. Absolutely shit. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, they, you know, they're, they get like that little bit of a, that little bit of a taste, you know, where suddenly he's just like, I know that I stole this thing from you when you were a kid, but here it is back now and we should go find it. You know, it's, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're just driven by bad kind of corrupt morals. Like a lot of the adults that are in the show. And I felt like, again, like the kids were pretty, were pretty innocent in their desires, you know, of just like, we want to go do stuff. Well, I feel like. Well, I was just going to say that, um. I just kept thinking, like, are they going to educate Esteban and Zia and Tao? Like, are they going to school, homeschool them? Like, I just felt like the adults didn't care at all about their well-being. And it was, 
frustrating me. <laughs> well, I didn't feel like they thought that far ahead because another thing that I thought when he was sneaking this kid onto the boat was like, yo, man, this kid ain't got a suitcase. Like, <laughs> did he tell anyone where he was going? Did they ever go back to be like, hey, this little kid who made the, the, the rain go away. Oh, yeah, his stepdad died. and Oh, he's also gone. <laughs> so, But I actually, made, it made me wonder, um, maybe just to be like contrarian for a little bit, but I was like, <laughs> Are these kids like the MacGuffin of the story? Because mm. if these adults were as efficient as they really hope to be in getting this gold, like the kids literally are just the holders of these keys, but they don't actually, all, all Mendoza really had to do is just pull that stuff off of Esteban's neck, pull it off of Inca Girl's neck, get on the boat, peace out. I'm going to play devil's advocate with point. you and say that that, you know, maybe that was the line. Maybe Mendoza was like, I'll kidnap a kid, but I won't like kill a kid and steal his necklace. Oh, I didn't say he had to kill him. Like, <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Esteban's like four feet tall. Like Mendoza was like six, six, like. Very strong arms. Yeah. The way like, he was hey, drawn. Man, like <laughs> this could have been made much easier if we just took it and left the kids behind. Kids are going to slow you down, man. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't seem like the gate needed to have the child's hand do it. It just yeah. needed the medallion. Yeah. Well, it had that guardian that was kind of in front of it. But oh, yeah. you know, I think the guardian was sort of a, <laughs> a challenging guardian, kind of guardian in air quotes entitled to begin with because he doesn't really have like a weapon. There's no like mm. army mm -hmm. behind him. You've got all these Olmecs that have swords that are attempting to get in, threatening Tao. And the guardian's just kind of like, I mean, I should be the kids that make the decision, and everybody's like, "Wow." I'm I'm uh, liable to believe that if Mendoza just showed up, and the guardian was like, "We're the children with the things," and Mendoza was like, "Yeah, I don't know about that, but I got both keys right here, Playboy." Like, <laughs> the dude might have been like, "All right, man, you got it." What if it had been something like where he, like Mendoza showed up and he was just like, oh, it's me. I'm the kid, but I like, grew up. Yeah. And the other kid died. I'm a little boy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the other kid like had a problem. They had like a, uh, they had to go to homeschool today. And so I showed up and I had their thing. Like, how about we just go check it out? Yeah. Or he's wearing like a little kid outfit with a beanie on top. And then. Yeah. All right, let's, I, I wanted to, I wanted to get into this. Hello, I gotta... fellow youths. <laughs> just Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Oh, perfect 30 rock reference i would have i would have died if uh if just like <clears throat> if they had opened the gate and it was just like an image of uh, uh who had just been john travolta <laughs> and <laughs> samuel L. jackson looking at the suitcase in pulp fiction <laughs> like inside of it would have been weird Incredible. you bring me up to the point now You've brought me down to the point where I've had to think about this uh, because Jeff has mentioned about like packing up a suitcase for Esteban and we, we've kind of talked about like what these kids are wearing. Like, let's be honest. All right. The the fashion that we have that's for <laughs> Esteban in this, he's got like in the first episode, three major outfits. One is like a rain poncho. Two, they dress him up like a mini pope when they parade him through town and then his third and final is that he's dressed like a pilgrim when he's running to Mendoza to like to stow away on this boat. Uh, obviously, we see him sort of you know down the road in kind of these like classic uh, like white uh, kind of clothing, this like white garb, 
um, along with kind of like a gold belt that he has. And he seems like he's kind of like, kind of looks like it's a, like a guide dress or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't it's know. It's like what the, the youths wore back in like the medieval times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just wear this shirt, put a belt on. So you look a little bit more like a man. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of like a page or a squire outfit kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. 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 So it, it's, it's interesting to see that. I, I really, I'm, I'm almost interested to see if just the fashion choices just change for Esteban over the entire course. Like if maybe we had come in on an episode where finally he had gotten like that white kind of like t-shirt dress, you know, and the, like everything before had just been like Esteban and like weird ass clothing <laughs> like the entire time. Like there's something, there's something so weird about the fact that they like front loaded it with like three crazy outfits in this first. And then they're just like, now let's just put this white shirt with a belt on him like down the road like that. I don't know. That cracks me up. And did he, you mentioned this before we started recording, but did he age in time between the first episode and 37? Because he did seem older. He seemed, yeah, he definitely seemed like he grew. He had, the a, first he episode, had a sword. Yeah. Huh? He had a sword. Yeah, he had a sword. He was flying the, the condor, wasn't he? Yeah. I was like, dang, he got flight skills. Like, mm-hmm. A lot happened because at first he was literally running around in like little blue Snuggie and he mm-hmm. looked like he was about six. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't even like as tall as the bed. <laughs> his father like or is the the old dude no oh, that in, like, yeah on. that uh well that's also weird too because it's like father rodriguez yeah is what they call him um and so he's like i guess like a like a monk or maybe you know some some maybe catholic priest that they have that they're calling him father uh that's like in this this order that's there but then they're like all these other people that are there as well but they like have the top of their head shaved kind of like a friar or like a monk and I'm just like I'm so confused about what religion you guys think this is but like I'm on board you know they what? they fuck with it for like five minutes and then they're just like all right let's get on the ship still yeah. these kids no one cared back then you yeah know? we weren't woke so we, it's just like <laughs> you're just some sort of that was like religion yeah <laughs> oh you shaved the top of your head and you got the weird little shit around the sides that's just religion you know <laughs> We'll file that under religion. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm just so curious about this. You just think religion back in that day was just bad haircuts. <laughs> I think it was acceptable to think that. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Like you instantly think friar, monk, whatever, when you see that bad haircut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, That's that the true. easiest way to get it across. Mm-hmm. True. I thought in terms of just to close out on the clothing, um, one thing I thought was great was on thir- episode 37 when... Uh, Mendoza and Sancho and Pedro had to go jump in the water to go swim somewhere. I was like, oh man, they're going to go swim. And then these mother- they just jump in the water with boots, cape. <laughs> How did they not drown? I burst out laughing when he just <laughs> dove in the water fully dressed. I was like, yeah, they're going to go swim like 100 yards too. Like, it's not even like they're swimming at like 20 feet. Like, they're going to swim to some crazy boat or some shore. And I'm like, man, cartoon. <laughs> How how crazy would that have been if just like this whole this whole adventure, this whole period of time that Mendoza is just like, you know, stealing kids, going to the new world, you know, uh, finding these giant condors that these kids are flying and shit like that, doing all this other stuff. And then swimming is what did him. <laughs> <laughs> I drowned because I couldn't take my boots off. <laughs> I didn't want to take this sword off my belt. So, I, I mean, it ended up weighing me down in the end. But like, you know, it was, it was okay. Yeah. Man. Um, but no, I noticed Esteban's new outfit in episode 37. Like there was a point where I was like, wow, he looks much better. And then I was like, what am I thinking about this character? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I, I will say this. Um, uh, Kalen Batia, who was the guest on our episode, our most, our, our previous episode on King Arthur Knights of the Magic Light, when we had finished recording that episode, I mentioned that we were recording Mysterious Cities of Gold, and uh, Kalen's response was, I love that show. When I was a kid, I had such a crush on Esteban. I could see that. He's just like... He's cute. Yeah. He's super so. cute. Especially once he gets out of the whole, yeah, blue Snuggie and everything. Yeah. <laughs> once he grows up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Once he gets kidnapped, I feel like that really ages a kid. It <laughs> forces yeah. you to grow up. Yeah. A little bit. You meet your best friend and it's just a girl that's stuffed in a box. <laughs> <laughs> you age about six years in about an hour. <laughs> I mean, that's some real life shit back in the time. <laughs> back How'd in the 60s century. <laughs> Dude told me to go on this boat. <laughs> Did he tell you to dress like a pilgrim and an asshole too? Like <laughs> everything about that's great. Zia I, had a pretty dress. I can't really remember it clearly, but it was like an orange dress. I don't think it changed, but it was nice. Yeah, I think she kind of had like the same. They they kind of like preset her with clothing. They're just like, you're gonna wear a dress. Mm-hmm. You're gonna wear a dress the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got like lightweight Pocahontas vibes from her yeah. clothing and outfit. Totally. And again, like it, it's just <clears throat> since it's back then, that was just I feel like the template to get across what they needed to get across for her character. Right. It's like brown, black hair, Pocahontas dress, some sort of magical Indian. And she is Incan too. Yeah. So I mean, you know, they. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's it's hard, but I mean, visually for them, they were like, this is the easiest, most simplistic way to get this message across that like, she's different from all these Spaniards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, understood. I wanted to ask the question, uh, did you feel that this cartoon really captured uh, like a sense of adventure and imagination from the, from the two episodes that we watched? I thought so. And like Jeff was saying earlier, the fact that they took like this historical aspect to the show really made the adventure exciting and fun and real feeling. And um, yeah, I would say that more than most cartoons it had more creativity and imagination to it. I liked that they picked something so ancient to explore, you know, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I like that a lot because I am a history buff of sorts and a mythology buff. So to see that stuff kind of woven into a cartoon. Um, I liked it as an adult, even though I, you know, find a lot of holes in the, the plot and all these things now as a grown man, but definitely as a kid, like this would have been my shit if I had um, known it was around. Yeah. No, no, I agree as well. I think that, you know, the, the couple moments that I, I kind of quasi remember from my youth, like from watching this as a kid, were those moments of them like discovering the golden condor and, and flying it and, and sort of, uh, you know, outwitting or duping some of the guys. I think it was the, uh, Pedro and and Sancho character and sort of, you know, outwitting them and, and, and escaping their clutches. Like when they feel that, you know, maybe their, their intentions aren't the best, uh, to kind of maybe get away from Mendoza. And, And those are the moments where I'm just like, Oh, this seems like it's cool. Like they had a cool, plan as a kid and they executed on it there's like a part of this that just makes me like it just screams goonies to me Mm. and i and i i just love that film of just you know having like a kid adventure something that seems larger than life uh that then at the very end you know even even adults 
are just like, oh, I guess we do have to take you seriously because this was the thing that actually did have an impact in terms of our, our lives and what we were doing. And I, I feel like it's kind of in that same vein of adventure. Yeah. Oh, it just, it crossed my mind that, um, I feel like the eighties was kind of the beginning of our culture telling kids like you're special, everyone's special, you know, and it kind of became a thing. You wanted to feel special. Maybe that's always been the way, but like when they were telling Esteban about his special powers and stuff, I was like, is this playing into our culture kind of wanting everyone to be exceptional and everyone wants to have this special thing? I don't know. For a second, I was like, maybe this is a dangerous mindset just for a culture to have. Hmm. Well, I feel like we still had those characters. You know, we still had Mendoza and Sancho and mm-hmm. uh, Pedro who were all kind of miserable, <laughs> worthless <true>. people. So <laughs> I don't think that, like, I, we, we actually spoke about this in the Gundam episode because I asked about the kind of personality types or tropes that each of the characters played. Do we, did we ever think that kids kind of, we, we know that they all kind of gravitate towards watching the shows and being, or gravitating towards like that hero kid. Like, oh, you're special. But like, what about the, the kids who might gravitate to the other characters in the show? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that there's any kids watching the show or that were watching the show that's like, yeah, I identify with Sancho. Right. <laughs> but I mean, you never know. But I feel like, you know, I guess with cartoons, because it is kind of like socialization, you got to, you know, you want to guide them all towards like, yo, this is all the good stuff you're supposed to do. Sacrifice things for your friends, mm-hmm. you know, be confident, be brave. Mm-hmm. But then you put in these other characters because it's like, you know, sometimes this shit doesn't always work out and you might have to end up being one of these other motherfuckers too. <laughs> And that's a life lesson. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes you get stolen and put on a boat. Yeah. Other times you just continue to, to grow up in Spain, in Barcelona, and you're fine. Yeah. You know, it can get life, look, life is full of choices, but you know, for Esteban, those are the, really the only two that he had. So, yeah. and uh, he chose to be kidnapped. <laughs> so, is that a kidnapping then at that point? I yeah. How I don't does think that work? He, he, I don't even think he was kidnapped because he was the one that was like, yo, what's up? I'm here. Yeah. And the dude was like, this was easy as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even got to go. I didn't think him. this was going to work. <laughs> I had to put this other one in a box. He just, Esteban just showed up. <laughs> he ran toward him. <laughs> I don't know if it would be called kidnapping, but. Brainwashing, know, maybe. People or... would definitely be perturbed if, you know, they found out. Yeah. Like their kid ran out and just jumped on a boat with some dudes <laughs> <and> left. <laughs> this is like 20 passed out dudes on the boat. <laughs> and they stuck you in the, was it the hull or something? Yeah. I, I don't like, know boat terminology. I'm not 100% sure. It was under the, the basement. Deck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the basement <laughs> of the, the ship. <laughs> <laughs> the unfinished basement. <laughs> the, sub, the sub deck. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, just definitely a weird sense of adventure to kind of kick off this whole tale. Mm-hmm. I wanted to check and see, speaking of adventure, is there a particular adventure that when you were a kid, one that you thought about that you were like, I want to embark on this. Like I, I'll, I'll say this, uh, like there was an entire area back behind where my mom's house was that was like undeveloped houses. And so there were like a bunch of construction vehicles that were back there. And, and for a long time, it was just like really rocky terrain and like paths where people would go and like ride their bikes. 
And so I was like 11, 12 years old and we would always go and we'd ride our bikes and, and do different jumps that they had that were back there. Loved it. But I could always hear a train in the distance. Like I could always hear the distant sound of a train. And I wondered in kind of like a, I don't know, like a stand by me kind of a way, like what if I walked towards that sound? Like what if I actually made my way out to where that train track was? Like how far is it? You know, like would I have to pack a backpack or like would I have to take like a like a tent with me or or what would I do or like how would I make this happen? But there was always that thought was like, could I ride my bike out there? I kind of always wanted to do it. Like as an adult, I realized like that town or I realized that that train track was actually probably like two or three <laughs> miles away, like in the middle of a town with a bunch of people. Like the VRE. <laughs> take, right. you to, take you to your parents' office. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bunch of shitty people commuting, just miserable <laughs> as fuck. No, but I mean, like, this was in, like, central Pennsylvania. So, yeah. I mean, like, I would have probably walked through a development, a farm, and then, like, a small town, and then come across these train tracks. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that was it? Cool. Um, it probably would have immediately been recognizable. But, like, I always remember thinking to myself, like, it would have been really cool to kind of embark out on that journey and just see how far I would have been able to go. I honestly think that I probably would have gone for like four or five hours and I would have gotten a terrible sunburn, which is 100% what happened to me as a kid often. And I would have been like, oh, time to go home. <laughs> like, that's it. So did you guys that's have cute. any... Oh, thank you. <laughs> did you guys have any like fun adventures that when you were a kid that you were like either embarked on or you were just like, I have this idea of something I could embark on? Um, I was a scaredy cat who like rarely left our front or backyard. <laughs> I didn't really ramble very far. Um, but I was obsessed with Nancy Drews and Bopsy Twins and mysteries. So if I had been able to go on an adventure, it would have been a, a, a mystery type adventure. And in one house where we lived, um, I, I mean, I used to play detective all the time. And I think the neighbor must have seen because one day I went out to the side of our house and there were all these jewels in the ground and looking back they must have all just been like fake cheap plastic jewelry but i was like a jewel heist or something happened and these are the clues and i spent all day (laughs) exactly (laughs) song came on and i was out there with like a magnifying glass and just trying to figure it out so that's the type of adventure i wanted to be on that's really cool i think a mystery real close to home Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, my, mystery, in, in the yard, preferably. Mystery of who put all these fucking cheap ass jewels in the, in the grass. Beds. Yeah, <laughs> and I used to make my friends sit in the car, my parents' car. One of us in the front seat, one of us in the back, both with walkie talkies. And the one sitting in the back would be in charge of every time a car went by, writing down the license plate number and then radioing it to the person in the front. <laughs> and then my friends must have hated this because we were just like in a car for hours, you know, and barely any cars went by. But to me, that was like the height of, you know, espionage and <laughs> being a detective. <laughs> I mean, it sets you up great because now you're uh, you're a police officer that's on stakeouts <laughs> right, all the time. Right. <laughs> totally. Really I'm a homicide detective now. <laughs> <laughs> really trained you up. <laughs> Jeff, anything for you? Um, funnily enough, those uh, kind of like dreams about adventure. <clears throat> I didn't have those. Uh, a ton as kids. I remember as kids, we played in the woods a lot. Um, you know, it was super back in the day. So like my parents both worked. My babysitter was like super old and was just like, whatever. So <laughs> in the summertime, we could just do whatever we wanted as long as we got home for dinner. 
Um, and we had, you know, a ton of woods in the backyard. So I remember we would go deep enough into the woods and there's this huge uh, pipe and it came out from the ground and I guess it was sort of on a hill, but basically I always wanted to walk the length of it to the other side, but I could never do it because in the middle, it's like 40 feet up off the ground. <laughs> so I was like, well, uh, you know, this would be really cool, but you know, if I mess this up, like there's really no one out here and that's just going to be a wrap. So I would only go like halfway and then climb back. And that was like my kid adventure. Um, but in terms of like those dreams as an adult, like I used to work, um, over by Tyson's corner. Um, sorry for you non-local listeners, <laughs> but on the way to work, I would take, um, two sixty seven. Okay. So you get to that point where you either take the exit for Tyson's corner or you can just keep going straight and go to Dulles Airport. Yeah. And uh, I'm not super into my job. So every day going to work, I'm like, man, like, how long would I last if I just, like, took my camera and my laptop and just, like, said, fuck work and just went to Dulles, bought a <laughs> ticket for a city, and was just, like, all I had was my camera and my laptop to, like, oh, keep me alive. And, like, I never did it because I'm soft. But, like, <laughs> that's, like, not, like, that's, like, 28. Like, I was grown. Like, that's the type of shit, you know? But, like, that's, that's for me, like, those daydreams of adventure. Like, I, I feel like I have those more now as an adult, which means maybe I should, like, do some things to fulfill uh, deep-seated whatever is going on in my, in, in, in my, my head. But I, I appreciated this, this cartoon for that a lot. No, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys for sharing. Mm-hmm. Any final questions? about the mysterious cities of gold? Hmm. I mean, in the very first episode, because I am so risk averse, part of me was like, Esteban, don't go. <laughs> <laughs> just stay in just, Barcelona. Just give Mendoza the necklace. Yeah, <laughs> stay in school and just, <laughs> but no, I mean, in the end, it was it was a really fun adventure and um, I enjoyed it. I didn't think I would enjoy it so much just from the description and then I ended up loving it. Um, I don't really think I have any questions. I will go back and watch the last two episodes. I think I'm on board with you there too. Like I was like, why are we watching one in 37? But then I watched one and I was like, dip. <laughs> <laughs> but then I watched 37 and I was like, dog, I want to see 38 and 39. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the end of 37, they ended it as the gates opened. Yeah. Right. I, I was it was a cliffhanger. It was great. Yeah. So yeah. Actually, I do have a question. Can you explain to me what ethnicity the Olmecs were, if they were one? Oh, I, I can. Um, so that is actually like those series of, of tribes that they had that were kind of all searching for the cities of gold. Mm-hmm. Um, remember how they had talked about the war between the cities that had happened? The Olmecs had actually been one of those ancient races oh. during that time, and they'd actually like hid underground. Uh, and I think they, there was like a throwaway line that they had added in that was like, uh, "We need the the mysterious cities of gold, or we need the treasure because it's gonna it's gonna help uh, my race. Like it's gonna prevent us from dying, aging, mm-hmm. aging, from aging. Yeah. And so uh, they were one of those like evidently groups like with the Incans. Uh, the Olmecs were kind of one of those warring factions that ended up, uh, you know, kind of destroying parts of the earth uh, in this cartoon. 
and, and sort of sending everybody in this path then like years later of, hey, we got to open it back up because these these weapons have been kind of closed off to us. They're kind of using it. <clears throat> they're kind of using it not because they, well, you don't really know why they want to use it. You kind of know that maybe their intention is that they want to prevent the aging of the race, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you, you were also part of some of these warring factions back in the day and like how much of a lesson have you learned? Yeah. Yeah. How come but they look like aliens? I I don't know what happens when you live underneath the earth. You don't mm-hmm. get uh you don't get access to the sun. <laughs> it's true, they were pale. They yeah. reminded me of the Morlocks from uh Yep. Um the Time Machine? Or is that I forget it's the H. E. Wells joint, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah. I think it is Time Machine. I'm bad with the books. I need to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I feel the same, my buddy. So Oh, another question. Yeah. When they finally discovered the cities of gold or the gates, were they deep underwater at that point? Or were they not underwater? I think they were on an island. Okay. They were in that island that was in the middle of the water. So right. there was like a lake that was around them. Mm-hmm. My impression was that, and I, I guess this is one of those things that like maybe it defies physics and they don't really talk about it or at least like how they traverse into where the gate is. Mm-hmm. Like I suspect that they would have had to like walked, they would have had to have walked down and then the gates would have been down below, like underneath where the water was. Because if the gates would have opened where it was, either it's a riff in time where they would have walked through it and it like would have pushed them out like to where the the lake was, or just like in terms of how we understand and process physics, like that just wasn't that wouldn't have worked. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it was weird. They don't really kind of give you like a like a blueprint or a floor plan. Yeah, I don't know why I thought it was underwater. Um one funny line or it wasn't intended funny but when one of the alien looking guys was like hmm, your door is very strong our cultures are about equal and then someone else <laughs> the was, guardians like, yeah no we're not yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a lot of like weird lines that they have that are in this show where suddenly like somebody will say like one one weird like minor thing and then somebody will follow it up with uh something like just kind of bizarre like it was in episode 37 um where one of the one of the olmecs is named minotaur Mm. and uh and the and the guardian that's in front of the gate goes i will speak with minotaur and just immediately goes here i am (laughs) so like the whole conversation is i will speak with minotaur here i am (laughs) like without even missing a beat yeah okay like he was there the whole you could have just simply said like which one of you is Minotaur?" (laughs) right or there was one point when Esteban, they were looking at the library and he was like, oh, this dust is going to make me sneeze. And then the guardian went, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, that was really weird. Too. Very weird. <laughs> so again, got to thank it. Got to thank everybody who did the dub for this <laughs> and everything. It's just, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's not bad. I have one last question. All right. Um, the show is called The Mysterious Cities of Gold. In episode 37, they go to open up the door. My question is, I felt like, and maybe this was just me, but I felt like they jumped back and forth between singular and plural. Yeah. So are they going to do this six more times? Or is that one city all the cities? So from my understanding, there are seven uh, mysterious cities of gold that they have that are in the show. But you are correct. They jump back and forth in terms of singular and plural with respect to the city or cities multiple times. Yeah. With no, like with reckless abandon. 
to the point where you're just like, is this the cities? Are we done now? Yeah. We have to keep going. Yeah. Do we have to go find six more? Was this just a fetch quest just to get to one? And then I got to do six more. Like this is a lot of, this is a lot of work guys. Like, let me get one city of gold. Let me get one (laughs) building of gold. I'm good. Yeah. Do me a favor. I'm going to get this city. Mendoza. Here, you take my necklace. (laughs) Go hit up the other six, buddy. Tell them I said it was cool. Yeah. (laughs) Plus, I think an entire city of gold. You want, okay, a building that's gold is nice, but you don't want your toilet to be gold. You don't want your bed to be gold. It's too hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. There'd be some downsides to a city of gold. I mean, gold is very pliable. So maybe it's like the memory foam <laughs> of metals. Maybe. You know, so that bed contours to your body. Well. A lot of lumbar spine support. <laughs> Everybody wants that. Also, toilet seat that's molded like your butt. Mm-hmm. Plus just general security, knowing that you're sleeping on uh, some sort of financial <laughs> solid stake that's never going to crash. Exactly. exactly. Like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, what have you invested in? You're just like, well, I bought a wardrobe made out of gold. Yeah. My desk, bought pure gold. Ottoman, pure gold. Yeah, you can't get this shit at Ikea, dog. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine like a high-end Ikea? Like, is it just Crate and Barrel? Did I just describe Crate and Barrel? Pretty Fuck, much. I just described Crate and Barrel. Container store. <laughs> this gold box to keep my knickknacks. I got a gold box to hold my gold. Just like, man, what are you doing? This is too much, buddy. Oh, all right. Well, guess what? You listeners out there right now, you have opinions about this show. How do I know that? Because you've put them on the internet for me to read, and I've read a bunch of them, and they are all interesting. And so to honor your opinions, we are now going to hand this over to longtime listener and friend of the show, Bobby Anthem, for this week's Love It or Hate It. Bobby, take it away. This week's Love It is titled, Made My Imagination Go Wild and Enhanced My Love of History, written by Michelle Mybell in March 2001. Michelle said, This show was one of the few shows that I loved as a child. My sisters and I used to watch it at my grandmother's since we didn't have cable where we lived. The girl in the show was a princess and the thing I always wanted to be, and she wasn't the come-save-me princess, but the adventurous one. I remember how her necklace fit with the boys, and they were the key to the lost city of gold. I know that children today would love the storyline of this cartoon. It is much better than the junk they show today. I think they should bring back great cartoons like The Mysterious Cities of Gold, Rainbow Bright, The Care Bears, She-Ra, He-Man, Jim, and of course the Transformers. Cartoons of the 80s brought hope and imagination to children as opposed to violence and dullness. As an adult, I do not care for many cartoons. The occasional Disney movie is okay, but TV cartoons lack imagination. And our also love it, probably about as much as Michelle Mybell, is titled Best Animation Ever. Written by Online1244 in December 2008. This one says, This is not only entertaining, but educational as well, without the kids knowing. The cartoon was very entertaining, and right at the end, contained a three-minute mini-documentary about what you just saw, the real facts about their travels. Kids today only see random crap, but back in the 70s and 80s, animations were fantastic. 
I saw this on our ABC on the afternoons after school. It, it was good then and better now. If you have kids, you should get a copy. Definitely worth watching and great to finally see it on DVD. 10 out of 10. I always love it when I have to try to find a hate it and like I really need to search for it and then I can't find it. I feel like that's the mark of a good show or maybe just people who want to, you know, stress their admiration for the show really kind of coming out in force. I feel like sometimes it's all too easy to go on the internet and shit on something very quickly and, you know, pass like a snap judgment. Obviously, I'm saying all this knowing full well that this is a show that passes snap judgment on every single cartoon that we talk about. So, yeah, I know this is the pot calling the kettle black. I get it. But at the same time, it's so nice to see that so many people had such positive experiences watching this cartoon. Also, Bobby Anthem, what a gem. Just the best person in the world. So now we're at our recommendations. For any new listeners, you can, of course, we can say that we can recommend a cartoon. And we can say why. We can also say that we don't recommend a cartoon, and we can also say why. And then we can go one step further if we don't recommend a cartoon, and we can give it the Roger Rabbit style dip. Yes, the same dip from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We can dunk a cartoon in it, erase it from the annals of cartoon history. It's that easy, and we'll never talk about it on this show again. It kind of becomes like our Voldemort. So, yeah, cartoon that will not be named. So, right now, for our recommendations, Isabel. How are you feeling about the Mysterious Cities of Gold? I recommend it. I think it's creative and engaging and entertaining. Absolutely. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, Isabel. Mm -hmm. Jeff, how are you feeling? I also recommend it. I think if you can uh, get past Esteban's character in the first episode, you're in for a pretty good ride. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to be a recommend as well. Uh, it's very hard to come into an episode with such nostalgic memories of when I was a child and absolutely not recommend a cartoon. Uh, I was happy to watch this. Amazon has been bugging me saying like, do you want to buy the full first season? And I, I think that they're going to get me. I think that they're going to get me. Like I, I am probably going to buy this and make this into my, uh, my breakfast cereal show in the morning where every day I'm just kind of hanging out and I've got 20 minutes while I'm eating breakfast and kind of relaxing in the morning and drinking my first cup of coffee. This might become the cartoon for at least like the next month or so that like I just add into rotation and just start watching. So, and I couldn't be more excited about it. I just, I really, I really enjoyed going back into this show and I also enjoyed this conversation. So thank you both so much. Yeah, so, it was really fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You. And I wanted to ask now that we're at the end of the show, Isabel, where can the good people find you? Anything that you want to plug? Um, on Instagram, uh, Isabel.Galbraith. And I'm not really on Twitter and I'm trying to get off Facebook. So I guess just Instagram. Got it. Yeah. Understood. Jeff, anything that you would like to plug and where can the good people find you? Um, you guys can find me on Instagram at Piff Tannen. Uh, that's all I have for that. I don't really think I have anything to plug. You know, if I make videos and uh, music from time to time. So if you'd like to check out any of my work, you can go to mangocitymedia.com. And if you would like me to shoot any sort of video for you or even consult or help you make a cool video, I'm happy to do it. Just hit me up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you heard him on this episode, our friend Bobby Anthem. You can find him on Twitter at Bobby Anthem. Send him a message. Show him some love. He is simply the best. As for me, 
I perform live improv comedy with a group that's called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. We perform with Washington Improv Theater. You can find tickets and times with dc.org. And you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. Want to support this show? Yeah, this show that you just listened to. Tell a friend. Review it on Apple iTunes. It all helps. Slide into our DMs on Twitter at Morning Tunes. Remember, that's Morning with a U. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Drop us an old-fashioned email, SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. You can find all of these links in our link tree that is in the bio for all of our social media sites. And you can always listen to us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back again in July with another special episode that we kind of talked a little bit about being Scooby-Doo. We might be doing a Scooby-Doo episode. Who knows? We might be doing a Scooby-Doo episode in July. We're doing a Scooby-Doo episode in July. (laughs) Thank you guys so much, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.